Scions of the Southland, Sunday, August 29th, 2021. Mr. Grant, it is very late at night, isn't it, uh, for us here on the East Coast? That ain't my fault, my guy, but here we are. Uh, days are busy. I assume they're even busier for Scott Frost uh, as his fighting Cornhuskers took a very nasty loss yesterday to your uh, Illinois fighting Illini. Yeah, uh, I grew up watching them as a kid, but I'm pretty sure we said it on the podcast last week. Uh, is it, I'm sad he didn't get train stationed, right? Like he didn't get left on the platform in Urbana. Yeah, I'm. I kind of wanted them to. I kind of wanted them to fire him after the game, just for the meme content. But I realized that memes aren't reality these days. Uh, which is very sad. I think it would have been fitting if he did the reverse shoeless Joe Jackson slash uh, three weeks ago in Iowa. Instead of walking right out of the corn to play the game, he lost the game and then just disappeared off into a cornfield nearby. Is that what he's going to do when they fire him in uh, in Lincoln? He'll just walk into the nearest (laughs) cornfield and disappear? You know, most people don't know this, but cornfields are actually portals. And if you walk into it, you can just pop out anywhere else that there's corn. So that is how you get around the Midwest efficiently. Not trains, not automobiles, not planes, planes. cornfields. Yep. Speaking of a place that doesn't have cornfields in the other FBS matchup of this weekend, Hawaii, UCLA, question mark? I think there's two things that we can learn from this game. We don't know if Hawaii, well, we do know that Hawaii is bad, but we still don't know if UCLA is good. Chip Kelly, program building, question mark. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if if a program's built in an empty Rose Bowl and no one's around to see it, did it really even get built? Uh, I mean, is it a strong tree? Does it have good roots? These are all good questions to ask Chip Kelly. When you're when you're old, can you chop the tree down for a place to sit? I think UCLA might have might have had enough fans at their game to fill uh, Hawaii's new stadium situation. For those that don't know, if I remember correctly, Hawaii is playing in a in a virtual high school stadium that had to be expanded this offseason because Aloha <laughs> Stadium has been condemned. Aloha Stadium track. from Madden lore has been condemned. They're, they're playing literally, I'm, I'm almost certain, at their track and field stadium this year. It, it looks like a high school football stadium. And uh, would they have enough, as many people as UCLA? It's, it's unclear. I mean, I don't know if that crowd would have filled O'Keefe, quite frankly. I, I think we just had a volleyball exhibition last week that outdrove UCLA at the Rose Bowl. So look, UCLA reported that they had like 33% capacity at the Rose Bowl. We'll see. Hey, get get that bread, UCLA. Their their students don't show up for four weeks. So that that's somewhat excusable, but where's the rest of the fans? So go figure. Fair point. We should actually get to Georgia Tech talk. Uh, and you mentioned O'Keefe, which sets us up nicely to talk about volleyball's first week of action. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, if anybody out there is a volleyball junkie like myself, uh, you probably found yourself clicking refresh on the score bug a lot this weekend. 
or staring at a muted TV. Uh, muted because, uh, you know, we, we, we love going into someone else's house and, and getting their announcers. But uh, they're very, hold on, no, 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 no. Let's, let's make it known. They're very interesting announcers. They're uh, yeah. very, uh, very Florida announcers, I will say. Very Central Florida yeah. announcers. I heard they're 12 deep at uh, Color Commentator. So, um, I mean, it is a school for hotel managers. So, uh, you know, you know, it's, it, it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, went down to UCF and, and to their credit, very hospitable, very uh, welcoming. We left with three great wins, um, namely beating Penn State, number 12 Penn State, I'll add, uh, probably the game that Akshay and I talked up the most once the schedule was released. Um, not, and not yeah, just because it was first either. No, not just because it was first. No, because this Penn State, yeah, they're they're twelfth right now. But this is this is the Alabama of volleyball. I, I'm very comfortable in saying uh, our third assistant uh, or our second assistant, uh, third coach uh, Ariel Wilson, uh, in her playing days at Penn State, went four for four, and by four for four, I mean won four national titles in four years. Um, so they're very good. Um, but we beat them in, what was it? It was four sets, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, four sets. Yeah. I was at work, so I, I couldn't necessarily uh, watch. Fake fan. Play. Uh, sorry, I apologize. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the bread's got to get made. But um, no, beat Penn State in four sets. Uh, one of them was a rather uh, lopsided affair, but the rest were pretty competitive. Um, let's see, trying to think of other notes. Yes, it is our biggest upset win since the 2003 NCAA tournament uh, when we beat number eight Cal on the way uh, to an elite eight defeat at the hands of the aforementioned Hawaii. Uh, so small world there, but um, yeah, biggest, biggest win since 03. Uh, great to see, great start. And then, uh, <laughs> Not that it almost came undone later that night uh, playing UCF in their home gym on fresh legs. But uh, that one was that one was tense. And I don't know if it was the having actual TV to watch instead of just uh, click refresh and the numbers change. But whew, I, <laughs> felt good to uh, feel the, the rush of sport again, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to pull some numbers here just real quick. Uh, Mariana Brambia and Julia Bergman combined for 42 total points. Uh, Maddie McKissick added four of her own. Uh, How many sets did McKissick have? And McKissick had all four set or, Oh, you mean actual sets. Let's yeah. see if I can yeah, find yeah. those. Uh, I see 42 set assists, one yep. set error and TA, which I'm going to assume means total assists. Uh, of some sort is 104. Uh, Akshay learns how to read a volleyball box score. It's there's live, no guide. Live there's, on air. there's no, but, but no one. That's what I was more concerned about was because as a setter, you're you know you're not really expecting her to lead the attack, but one error on on, on 42 set assists on 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 all that volume she gets. That's that's what it takes to get a dub right there. That, that's mm -hmm. the kind of player you want in the middle. I will. I think it's also important to note that uh, Kayla Kaiser did not appear in this game. Uh, and Michaela Dowd was limited to one set. Uh, she just appeared in the third per the box score. 
So this is Penn State you're talking about, right? Yeah, this is Penn State. This is the Penn yeah. State game. Um, I, I'd have to go and look at the other box scores. Of them throughout the weekend. Yeah, yeah it's, it wasn't entirely clear. Uh, it was a relatively short rotation here. Uh, you only saw, let's see, Tippett obviously plays libero, but uh, Pimentel, D'Amico, and, and Dowd were the only other ones to get in the, in the rotation here. So you're running a still pretty short bench of 10. Um, it's, it's very interesting. One other thing I'd like to note is that, of course, UCF calls their uh, volleyball facility the venue at UCF. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to let that one simmer. Going to let that one simmer. Uh, sounds like the latest uh, trendy place to hang out, the venue. But In Alpharetta. Uh, anyway, continue. One, yeah, one thing I, w- I will add um, is that short bench is also interesting because in the past we've seen uh, Coach play a short rotation but really rely on Tippett to play you know three, four, five sets and not really getting a break. But having uh, Pimentel as a reliable second option uh, and we've seen uh, them play two specialist slash libero type roles uh, in the form of Tibbet and Pimentel being out on the court at the same time has been a, a, a different look for Georgia Tech. Um, I've personally liked it. I, I think it's a, it's an interesting option to have having that depth. Uh, and then again with D'Amico has, has really was a, a player to watch last year Um spelling Maddie McKissick at times, but having, having those good solid second options uh, at set uh, in the defensive, defensive specialist role. And like you said, uh, and like we are alluding to in this process, it's not like we saw a lot of Dowd um, Kaiser, not a, not a ton of Aaron Moss either. Like it, it's not like Georgia tech was tossing the biggest possible, like it, granted we are talented enough to beat a top 12 team without probably the most effective historically could be different now. I'm not in the coaches room all the time. We've only seen them play a handful of games uh, in action in person. Um, So yeah, (laughs) if, if if that's what the team is looking like and that's the kind of wins they're able to get uh, against UCF who hadn't played yet uh, in their own building coming from behind uh, beating number 12 Penn state and then take, taking care of business solidly uh, just all, all work against St. John's. I mean, I, I don't want to set the expectations too, too high, but this is the most complete Georgia tech volleyball team that we could be seeing. Well, obviously last year's was very complete too, but since that 03, 04 elite eight sweet 16 ACC championship run, this, this could be the best modern Georgia tech team. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple more quick notes because I have the other two box scores pulled up now. Um, you saw a lot more rotation in the UCF and St. John's game. I think the St. John's one was a little bit less. Uh, but yeah. in UCF, uh, Pimentel spelled Tippett as libero uh, in in spots uh, and also came and rotated in other spots. Uh, D'Amico also featured. You also had Laura Fisher come in, Nicole Drunick. Uh, and Kayla Kaiser appeared in the second match uh, that was versus UCF, uh, but no Michaela doubt in that one. Kaiser ended up playing the full, uh, I mean, I was going to say full 90, but this is in soccer. The full, the full three sets in the St. John's game. Uh, Laura Fischel also spelled there. D'Amico and Pimentel 
again there as well. So I think you see a shorter rotation in the outside games. Um, yeah. I think that's – you're getting Dowd a little bit of game time, probably checking on her fitness, uh, checking on if she has any injury, and then you're working Kaiser back in the rotation in those latter two games. This um, is the exact kind of luxury a good team can have too. Because, like, if you, if you think about it, we lost um, quite a bit of momentum. It, it was tough at the start of 2019 – um, coming out with without Brambia due to injury question mark I can't remember off the top of my head that kind of that kind of vibe and and not that not that you need to like be like load management to the point of like uh oh we accidentally just lost to UCF kind of thing but they didn't you know like this is they were able to go out there and and get some experience for uh, some of the younger players too um, I believe watching UCF I think one of those plays that Fisher was in, in particular, as a face that we haven't really seen at all um, uh, until now, um, was just a, an absolute knockdown block. So great mm-hmm. to see. Uh, Fisher did have two blocks versus UCF, so you are correct. It was, uh, it was late in the game, I remember off the top of my head. but I don't have that many analytics, unfortunately. I will note, however... Uh, Bianca Bertolino featured heavily in the UCF game with 16 points, 16.5 points, although I'm not really sure how the 0.5 is calculated. Uh, and then she also featured heavily in the, uh, in the St. John's game where she had 18 points. So uh, it looks like we're going to be seeing a lot of her at least early on uh, in the rotation. And um, I, I know we, we were watching the game and had, uh, well, I mean, we're following the game uh, and had, a couple opinions on how, how she fits in uh, to the rotation. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, yeah. I mean, she's definitely settled down. Um, I, I think tech is going to have to use this year as a springboard as, as having had a brand B endowed for quite a few, quite a number of years now. This is their fourth uh, season. Got on the flats Bergman. This is her third. Like it, it's great to have them as lockdown options, but at some point you do need to get playing experience and, and teaching and, and just that comfortability for the younger players. So it, the, the sooner that comes, the, the absolute better that is for, for the team as a whole. And um, yeah, no, I, I had another thought I was going to toss in there, but uh, you know, uh, actually this completely aside, Akshay and I uh, took a hack at some swimming rankings last year. Maybe we'll uh, dive in and see if we can get some more, uh, volleyball type stuff for this year because that seems that seems like a great frontier that would really round out uh, our our talking points for the podcast. I'm just waiting, just waiting for someone to build a scraper for for the NCAA stats site. Literally, just waiting. I have to make some trades uh, in terms of you know uh, college sports analytics work that I need to do, but it's it's on the back burner. We're it, it's coming <laughs> at some point. It, it's I'm sure yeah. it's coming. They saw a game on paper and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll trade that guy for for numbers, favors all the time. But um, all about draft yeah, picks. That's, that's what we got. Uh, that's what we got for volleyball coming up. Uh, they're playing again this weekend out in L.A., Long Beach State and number 17 UCLA subject to a new poll tomorrow. Uh, Georgia Tech. Almost assuredly, I can't see any world which they would not be ranked uh, this week but uh, are currently on their longest ever consistent uh, ranking streak, I believe, 
um, thanks to last year being really long. So here's to keeping that up. Mm -hmm. They'll play on Friday the 3rd. That one's obviously Long Beach State Tournament versus Long Beach State. That's a 10 p.m. tip uh, on TV. That is some World Cup qualifier crap right there. Uh, I don't know if it is going to be on TV, though. It says ACC Network Extra. It's TV. Air quotes, TV. They they don't have ACC Network Extra out in LA just like they did in Orlando. So I feel like we're getting duped here, but I I, I don't know. Uh, well, the Penn State one didn't even have TV listed, so okay. It, so maybe, I, I think this is actually going to be streamed um, for ESPN Plus or something. Uh, well, the UCF one specifically says ESPN Plus, so I assume cool. this one is actually ACC Network Extra. UCLA is the same way. That's a six p.m. tip uh, again in Long Beach on Saturday. So they'll get a full day of rest in for that. But those are pretty two high level opponents, at least on the face. I mean, the West Coast is notorious for being ridiculously stupid good at volleyball. Yeah. Um we we talked a lot about how the scheduling has changed for this year. And it, it it's funny that we say that looking at the non-con and then still see teams that we saw in 2019. Obviously UGA and Arkansas are very competitive good teams to play against Oklahoma as well. Uh, but Long Beach State is not that unfamiliar of a face. They came out our way in 2019, uh, got the win. I believe it was in four, uh, but that was in our own building. So we'll see how that looks out on the West Coast. Home and home contracts. Yay. Schedule. I'm excited. I'm very excited. You know what I'm more excited about? The one program that we haven't previewed yet. Actually, I think one of two, but I'm going to say one for now. Uh, as part of our preview set, men's and women's tennis. They are one program because they both played the same sport on the same courts. Mr. Grant, what is tennis? Please do uh, tell me. Well, I again, love your, love your loquacious descriptions. Uh, it's rackets and uh, neon green balls in a blue rectangle. Um, tennis is a series of individuals uh, and pairs of players uh, <laughs> matched up against uh, individuals and pairs, uh, singles and doubles from the other team in tennis. Uh, there's really two seasons, fall and spring. In the fall, you're playing tournaments, uh, you know, draw style, bracket style, um, not necessarily match play. Um, there's a handful of them throughout the fall. We usually host one, sometimes two, uh, and it is capped off with ITA outdoors. ITA being a tennis governing body. Um, tennis is interesting, a lot like uh, a lot like how USA Swimming has a decent amount of uh, hands in NCAA swimming, ITA uh, and UTA, and just all the all the tennis acronyms uh, definitely stay involved in the tennis world at the college level. Um, so they have that tournament to cap off the year. Uh, in the spring, there are a handful of match play tournaments to start the year, including the ITA indoor national championship um ita indoors start with regional play tech women usually host tech men sometimes host uh and then wind up with a not neutral site but one pre-select host uh school for their uh championship rounds we will see regarding that and then there is a acc round robin slate uh and we get to match play against non-cons and you know that's (laughs) They'll, they'll be playing all the way till May once they start. So hopefully, yeah, I want to see them in action, but that's, it's a long year for a, for a tennis player. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the women's tennis schedule from last year right now. They played until Monday, May 24th. From January 16th to Monday, May 24th. That is the literal entire spring semester. Well, and in normal year, they play in the fall, too. Oh, yeah. I don't think this shows the fall schedule. But, yeah, you get the point. It's a... It's a, it's a long, 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 long schedule. Um, you had one more comment? Yeah. Um, much like golf, who we have not talked yet, and swimming, um, tennis kind of spans that September-October range all the way through that March to May range. It's not really a fall sport or a spring sport or a winter sport. It's just kind of like a – It's there. Golf. It, you're never not golfing, tennising – swimming you're, you're never far from it is a better way to put it so um we'll see them in action pretty soon we don't have a schedule yet so yay for for previewing that but we can at least talk a little bit about the history uh recently a little bit further in the past and uh the basics akshay what are our basics oh boy oh boy let's talk about some let's talk about the basics of georgia tech tennis i'm totally not vamping because i was looking at mls scores uh just to check on a game that had apparently gone off the rails georgia tech tennis plays at ken byers tennis complex uh it is uh i'm not doing a good job of putting words together right now ken byers tennis complex it was newly renovated in 2012 and uh yeah right around 2012 along with Really, the rest of that entire 10th Street block yep. uh, on both sides of the street on, what is that, Fowler? Fowler? Yeah. First Fowler. Um, on both sides of Fowler. So you have a bunch of renovations happening to Griffin Track uh, and Ken Byers at the same time that McCamish is getting completely, well, built in the McCamish case and uh, renovated in the AMC case. Uh, and then you also had the finishing touches put on uh, Mewborn Field. Uh, a couple years before that as well. So that entire athletics, athletics campus, for lack of a better term, starts taking shape right around the end of the uh, end of the aughts, uh, which is super nice. Like all, all of that looks super nice. Now it's all super functional. Um, the, I think the problem that you have noted here is that there's only 12 outdoor courts uh, at, at Ken Byers, I think six of them are the noted championship. Um, ten make outdoors. It, yeah, ten, 10 outdoor courts. Sorry. Six of them are the usual, um, you know, match courts. Uh, then the remaining four are for practice, usually outdoor practice. Uh, I think all, almost all of them have some sort of sponsor on them, some sort of family sponsor. Apparently it's not that expensive to buy a named sponsorship to a court in the outdoor complex. Um, if anybody wants to create the science of the Southland uh, court at Ken Byers, we, uh, we do DMs take donations. Open. We do take donations. <laughs> um, and then there's also the indoor set, right? There's six courts on the, on, in the indoor facility. There's some stands. Uh, there's also a box. Uh, there's box seats there, which you can buy, I think. Um, I honestly have no idea how you get in there. Is it a lounge? I think, it it's some sort, I think it's some sort of alumni lounge. That's what I understand. But I also think you can actually like legitimately buy seats with donations there. Um, this is the, this is the one facility on campus that is the most mysterious to me. Like, like it's free to go. If, if you, me, a student, an alumni, whoever, some guy on the street 
you could just walk in if, if there's a game and obviously not COVID, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you can go watch to your heart's content at Ken Byers, but like, I, I don't know, like who knows what goes on on the other side of that wall. It, it's, it, there's it's like one, I mean, there's like the entire office part, which is just wall. There's only one window. That, yep. That's what you're saying, right? There's the one yep. window that has some couches put put around it, and then it's just a blank white wall on that in, entire yep. part of the part of the facility. So it's very, very weird. I also feel like it's very, very claustrophobic because there's just not. It's honestly, it's it's honestly a lot like the mini version of what I think they would do to O'Keefe if the like renovation there that they kind of kicked around a little bit ago, whatever, mm-hmm. actually go through. You know, like putting it above the court, but like away from the stands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, sidebar, a, I would totally pay to watch a volleyball game at a box at O'Keefe, but that is a oh, complete yeah. aside. Oh, yeah. uh, that would also take some serious renovation to put one of those in, considering it's a literal middle school gym. Uh, moving on, championship structure for tennis is the same as uh, any other NCAA sport, it's the usual 64 team structure. The difference for tennis is that you, since you have both singles and doubles, well, you have singles and doubles, and then you also have the team, the team setup. So you basically have three possible tournaments that you can advance it. Uh, obviously, as an individual, as a pair, uh, and as an entire team. Obviously, separate tournaments uh, for the men. And women, there's uh, regional hosts for each, uh, for I think all pairings, or not pairings, but groups of four, um, just based on facilities. Not everyone has, you know, the required facilities for telecast stuff and everything. Um, You had some notes on bidding, I think. Yeah, um, it's kind of like a a predetermined national champion site, uh, but a lot of the top 16 teams, kind of like baseball, the ones that get to host those four-team regional pods, um, separate tournaments for singles and doubles that are bid for. So that's a la like a, you know, Final Four or the NCAA Swim Meet or I'd say I'd say College World Series, but I don't think that's formally up to bid given that there's a purpose-built stadium for it. Um, hey, technically, the, technically, someone plays there. I think it's hey, a minor yeah. league stadium in the off season. I not think the not the play there too. Yeah, not the women's one, though. The women's one, I'm pretty sure it lays dormant in the offseason. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah. And then talking tech history, um, the men's program actually traced their roots back. One of the the earliest teams on campus to 1908. um, A a lot of their formal record keeping doesn't begin, begin, begin until after World War II. Um, But it's really weird how much crossover there were in the early days between between the likes of, you know, your, your, your tracks, your cross countries, uh, Crenshaw's lacrosse team, like, like the same characters, George Griffin, um, JB Crenshaw, Heisman, like they're, they're all have their hands in the same, in the same teams. It's, it's not like today you never see like, you know, Kenny Thorne calling a play over for the football team and then like hustling down the street to like be the third base coach for baseball or, or something. You, you get what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. But uh yeah, no, uh, a lot of tech, like non-rep sports, low-key had like golden ages in the 1920s and 30s, swimming, uh, golf come to mind. But um, in particular, the tennis team uh, has actually won 
three different conferences, none of which are the ACC. That's kind of wild. Um, they have a 1918 SIAA title. Uh, they have two SOCON titles in the 20s. Uh, and then three Southeastern Conference team titles uh, in 38, 46, and 1960, a handful of runners-up as well, uh, a couple singles title and several doubles title holders. Um, notably, uh, if, if you're familiar with the indoor courts name at Georgia Tech and also the original name of the tennis complex, uh, Bill Moore, Bill Moore Tennis Center, um, tennis complex, whatever the, the last word is, I always forget. Um, but the rest of us might know uh, the man, Mr. Moore, for a different building on campus, that being the Student Success Center. If you took a tour at Tech uh, up until they finished the new Student Center in the next couple of years, every single one of those, uh, for most of our listeners uh, of the last couple dozen years, you know, that's, uh, that's a tennis uh, varsity letter holder right there. I'm trying to remember when that building was finished, because I think it was right before... I started at Tech. They finished the, re- the A renovation on, the, on that side of the stadium. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a concrete date on that, but that, that's definitely a newer part of the facility. That and way, the entrance, that in the entrance yeah. to the boxes is a newer part of the facility, for sure. If you go way back um, to like, you know, 1890s, 1900 back, um, that spot was actually the Knowles dormitory, which completely overlooked the football stadium pre-upper decking. So very, very wild how that's changed, but it really takes up a very similar footprint to what the Knowles dormitory did until it was replaced with Bill Moore. Um, Wardlaw, Bill Moore, and I guess Edge Rice as well in 80s through present day represent some of the first uh, major uh, academic incorporations into the side of a, a football stadium or the site and, and dual purposing a stadium, obviously LSU and the football stadium dorms. That's a whole completely different podcast. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's an entirely different podcast. I was going to I was gonna say, uh, I, I'll, I'll get us back on track with the next one, but uh, uh, closer to modern day, uh, Joe Campbell, the largest masonry structure in the Western hemisphere. Um, and then Notre Dame, up in uh, South Bend, just put a bunch of, uh, you know, music and psych buildings on the side of their stadium. But uh, in the meantime, uh, in the middle of all that, Tech did peak uh, again in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, two names you may have heard of uh, are former women's tennis head coach, Brian Shelton, uh, and current men's coach, Kenny Thorne, both starred for Georgia Tech in their day, late 80s, early 90s, of course, um, Noting Shelton, uh, he was a prodigious coach for the women uh, who are, actually, I don't think this is too bold to say, over the last 15 years, Georgia Tech's most successful team. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. They're the only one that's won a national championship. and then An NCAA NCAA national championship, well. yeah. Yeah, I, I meant in the last 15 years. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, the women have Tech's only NCAA title. That was 07. And then they sandwiched that with ITA titles. They're very, very good. They went to the final four the summer of 2018. They made a nice little run into their- It was their a very fun run. This past it, was a, it was a very fun run. That final four was at Wake Forest. Uh, not super hard to travel to. So a bunch of people, I think that both of us knew went. Um, I think they got sniped by UCLA. 
Vandy. Uh, oh, Vandy. Oh, close enough. They got they they got beat by UCLA this year, I think. Yeah, I uh, I think it was this year. I think they played UCLA though, or, or Pepperdine or, or something. One of those California. They came through. School. I think they played Pepperdine uh, in yeah. in the in the old tournament. But you know they women's tennis. That program has had a very very good. Like you said, it's had a very, very good last 15 years. I also really like that you picked 15 years specifically to encapsulate 07 in the, yep. in the analysis here. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Good mathing. That's why you have your degree. You. Um, yeah, I, we, we could talk about the final four. That's a, probably a great reminiscing episode at some point in some off season someday, but um, mm-hmm. a, a very, a very fun little run. And I think, one of the interesting things segueing into our talk about the team itself is this is the first year nobody from that team is going to be left. Uh, Kenya Jones was a super senior, got an extra COVID year of eligibility, I believe. Uh, and uh, Vicky Flores uh, is grad transferring to the aforementioned Pepperdine Waves to go to law school uh, and use that last year. So uh, all power to her. Uh, we'll, be sad to see both of them go but in terms of returning contributors this is this is a brave new world compared to the uh the the known final four you know that uh, we still have those court one and court two left mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting thing right it's it's i think we talked a lot about how other than kenya and vicky last year the rest of the team was relatively young you're looking at um I mean, it was especially the back end of that uh, uh, that player rotation was made up of a bunch of freshmen. So I think they're in an interesting, interesting holding pattern going into 2021-22 because they were able to get a couple of those freshman minutes. Well, not minutes in this case, but they were they were able to get those those freshman match time last year. So they come into 21 and 22 pretty experienced. They, they're used to playing ACC and NCAA competitive tennis, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like last year was a bad year. They made it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament as a team, right? And they played. They, uh, they, they also advanced to the – I think it was the ITA final on uh, during the early part of the early part of the season. So it, it, it was a really – despite – well, despite is not the way that I want to say it, but – Despite having the strategy of, hey, we're rotating in some maybe some inexperience at the back end, they were still able to put together a cohesive season uh, and um, a cohesive and successful season. Um, and that's something that everyone can learn from, right? Heading into a year where a lot is unknown, you're not maybe not just sliding everyone up two spots, but maybe there's some more dynamic movement right there's more competition especially with some of with the two freshmen that are coming in yeah uh for sure and and it's not to say the cupboard is dry in terms of like old uh senior leadership too uh gia cohen spent most of last year uh just on that fringe of the top 125 uh of the rankings that they put out in a given week um granted it's a little bit different for your court three to your court four to suddenly be all right. You're, you're, you're up, but you kind of got to have a, a next woman up mentality about it. Um, especially Ava roster. We saw her come out strong. Um, definitely uh, is probably a player 
to watch in terms of returning contributors. She'll probably play towards the top of the courts, number one, number two singles, stuff like that. Because um, on some level, like I, I would love to say that uh, we have two, we have two incoming freshmen. Um, I, I would love to say that either of uh, Kylie Blykev or uh, I hope I say both these right, Kate Sharavura. Fun names. Um, I don't. Quite frankly, I don't know enough based on what I can see on tennisrecruiting.net on IT, uh, some of these ranking sites and UTR. Like, I haven't seen a play straight mm-hmm. up. It, it's a lot of the same stuff that we can say about uh, a lot of our a lot of our Olympic sports. That it's like, well, yeah, we can we can take it's- some results, but. How, how do they fit in with our lineup is, is a really big question mark in tennis in particular. Mm-hmm. I, and I think one of the things that's one of the things that's also super interesting here is how are you putting together those doubles pairings, right? You had some yeah. standard, you, you're losing that top, top level doubles pairing in Flores and Jones, but now they've been, they've been a top five doubles pairing for like what half a decade or something. Like uh, I'm looking at the rankings right now. Um, or I'm looking at the individual match results. They spent the entirety of 2021, um, or, or I guess the spring season in the top five as a doubles pairing. Uh, they, they were number one uh, for about a week in April. But other than that, I mean, they were sitting at five. I'm seeing five for most of the season, one, and then three and two. So they're, I mean, I mean, it's very good. It's yeah. very good. You you have to replace a lot, but at the same time, I think my point is with you can start to play with pieces, right? Yeah. Because that the you had some standard pairings in the back, the back four of that a rotation of six, but now you can start to tinker and move things around. You don't. You're not necessarily. It, it's a very good doubles pairing that started off that that was there last year at the top spot, but now you. You can move around the pieces on the chessboard and see what works to see if you can replicate that production. Yeah, I um, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, and uh, on my half a decade remark earlier, uh, not necessarily true given that Vicky was only here for four years, but uh, it is worth saying that Kenny Jones and Paige Hurrigan uh, were court one doubles in, in 2018 and, and they've been a part partnership for those early years too. This is, these are two big pieces to, to have to replace. And it's really going to come down to which of, and, and we did see a, a decent amount, at least in some match play of the rest of the returning roster for the most part. Um, Hak and Carol Lee, uh, March has absolutely made it into matches roster. Rosie Garcia gross, I think might've. She had one of the most important wins and, if I remember correctly, because she made, she yeah, staged a comeback during say, the ACC tournament. I'm pretty sure she was like a, a, like a headliner in a, in a YJR in the fall, not just like, Oh, she played, but in like a, like the match came down to her kind of thing. So, you know, these are uh, a decent amount of returning experience too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that kind of brings us to our, our, our breakout potential, right? The, who we're looking at and, and to sort of lead this team into the next era because i really do think it's an era like you said that kenya and vicky were the last members of that 2018 final four team so it mm-hmm. really is this new era i think you're looking at frostar to step into one of those do- those top line doubles pairings or i guess the top line doubles pairings 
she was ranked in the top 100, the top 120 uh, for a while towards the end of the season. And she was putting together some really good performances. I think she got injured uh, a little into February. I think that's what I'm looking at here. She was out for yeah. about a month, but she was still putting together really good performances. Um, I think we already talked been about too. You never know with stuff like that, especially mm-hmm. in a weird year like last year. Mm-hmm. You already talked that, about. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. I was going to say like that. That's a lot of uh, something that did did affect a lot of teams last year. So definitely worth noting that like you know some of some of the results that we we've talked about so far, um, whether that's how COVID affected um, scheduling for women's basketball or or men's basketball or how it affected our football team in in talking about their year last year, like women's tennis was equally equally affected. So a lot of these players did get some of that experience, but at the same time we're called to, you know, step up when maybe the bench is a little shorter or they're playing. Cause again, they, they were called to play a full ACC schedule plus non-con plus ITA plus NCAAs all in, all in four or five months. After, Are you telling me that having a, a year, you know, Are you telling me that you know? a, at a pandemic caused fixture congestion for sports? Never. Hard to believe. I never insinuate such a thing. Hard to believe. Uh, I also want to showcase a couple more names while I have the page up, and I know I know you have some other notes that you want to get to before we move on. Uh, we talked about Frosser moving up into that into that first line doubles pairing. I'd really like to see Jane and, and I think it's Dejad. They Dejad. Dejad. I'm gonna. It's really ironic that I'm bad with names. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'd really like them to develop some more consistency uh, and, as, yeah. and Garcia gross too. I think uh, the three of them sometimes would get on heaters, right? They'd be really, really good for stretches and really, really clutch. And then you'd, you'd see them drop a couple sets versus uh, drop a couple sets or drop a couple matches versus weaker opponents. So some consistency there in the middle part of the lineup. And then obviously you're talking about, you know, you have uh, the freshmen that are coming in uh, as well. One of them is a walk-on. So uh, yeah. interesting to see how, it, I mean, it's still a top 50 recruit, I think you said in the state. So interesting to see how all of these pieces come together and how it, how they stack up, uh, especially in comparison to this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sean Brewer is from Atlanta Classical Academy, but still a five-star recruit. Um, and, and again, you had, you had them, the, the existing team playing, playing some big matches. I remember at ITAs, the Sun looked like it was starting to set straight into the windows. And uh, as the match comes down to the end, that that's tough, you know, like it, it's hard to be playing with the, the match on the line and, and being essentially blind. Like that, there's, there's times like that, or there's a couple matches in the spring where whew, like, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about tennis that gets people's blood boiling and, and uh, turns, you know, honest people into mania, uh, madman, maniacs, yeah. maniacs is the word that I wanted. The, the the vitriol around like line judge calling between is it good is it not the, the dynamics with the judges the fact that it's largely at the players uh, <laughs> like there, there's so much like intricacy in tennis and and we could say that's about every sport but i think volleyball and tennis like are two sports that not everybody's necessarily familiar with but there are so many tiny little things it's like talking about the launch angle revolution in baseball right like like it's a game of inches it's a game of like degrees and seconds it's it's crazy um 
Recapping one last thing uh, on recruiting and, and players for women's tennis before we move on to the men. Um, I, I do have their recruiting rankings pulled up and it's very interesting looking at where their classes have been recruited or ranked in recruiting. 2020, number two overall. 2018, number six overall. 2016, number eight overall. 2014, number eight overall. 2012, number one overall. Like it, it seems like very clearly Georgia Tech uh, in the last 10 years has been on kind of a two-year cycle. So I, I think that means that you got to see these these sophomores uh, are probably the, the players to circle to, to take that step up. And hopefully we get some uh, some good moves out of uh, a solid enough pair of, pair of incoming freshmen and, you know, uh, hit the court to get a top 10 class next year. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the men's team because we've spent a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of time talking about the women's team now. I think we we may not have touched on this yet, but the men's team rotates back or brings back that entire starting lineup from last year and then adds a couple of recruits uh, as well, uh, I believe. So how does this shake out in terms of lineup construction for you moving into well, this next year? I think it's super, super interesting. Um because this is essentially the inverse of the conversation that we had about the respective teams last year, right? We, mm-hmm. we talked about the women returning, you know, known players at one, two singles and, and one doubles. But now we have the men's tennis team, which was largely uh, from some of the key contributors, freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Um, and, and top to bottom, there's, there's only seven men listed on the roster right now. Um, we lost two to attrition and graduation and have one incoming freshman Angel Melgar, who, was shockingly hard to track down. This man on ramblingrep.com, no profile picture, no bio. <laughs> we had to find him on itftennis.com. And also, I think you found him on tennis recruiting, I think. Yeah, he's, he's on tennis recruiting too. So, so once I went to he some exists. of the normal sites, he showed up there. But another one, like he's Spanish that don't have a, I don't have a good read on him, right? But in terms of the people we do, um, the six returners, Andres Martin and Marcus McDaniel, Fantastic. Got some great um, NCAA singles and doubles experience uh, last year. The team as a whole went to the NCAA double tournament for the first time since Eubanks left uh, a couple of years ago. He forewent his last year of eligibility on the flats to go pro and is actually competing in the U.S. Open this week. So good luck Night to him. Nighttime tennis. Nighttime tennis. He's uh, one, of the, one of the best to ever do it at Tech. But um, in terms of the actual lineup, you return – Martin and McDaniel, uh, fantastic trading one and two. Super great to see consistency there. They're both redshirt sophomores. And you got Shandong, who is a very highly touted recruit when he was on his way in. You have Brandon McKinney, another redshirt sophomore. You have Pablo Shelcher, a redshirt junior. Really fun to watch him play, by the way. I, I, I like the heat he brings. Uh, and then you have Keshav Chakra, who again is a redshirt sophomore. So really, you have five sophomores in name and in actuality. And you have a redshirt junior who all went to the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, and your two best players got singles and doubles NCAA tournament experience last year. Can you pick a better scenario for, for being primed to make some moves this year? Because I, I can't. No, I, I can't. And it, it's a different vibe than, say, football, where you you have to replace a lot of pieces every year and you know – that some of those new pieces might not fit. To be. You don't always have 100% returning production in football. Yep. Whereas here, this is 
pretty close to 100%, even if you have, a, even if you're missing a couple to, to graduation, right? This is as, yeah. I think, it, almost as close as you're going to get to 100%. And I'm looking at some of the doubles pairings here. You mentioned um, Martin and McDaniel that went to the NCAA tournament. They were five and three during the year. Um, uh, they were actually not the most often played uh, doubles pairing, uh, unless I'm reading this incorrectly. Uh, no, the you're, most... you're right. They, they did have several matches where they weren't playing together. Because, uh, But again, those are your top two singles players. And uh, uh, they are very talented players. Sometimes the move, depending on who you're playing, is to split them up and play them on one and two. Or maybe somebody's injured or resting them for singles. Like that's the grind of the regular season is, <laughs> is a long one. So. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to shout out a couple more doubles pairings that were successful, at least per the, uh, uh, the win percentage here. You had Freestone and Shelter. Uh, who were seven and four? Uh, Bauer and McKinney were six and four. Um, Ch- uh, Chopra and Martin were seven and two, actually. So yeah. maybe we see a little they bit more of again. that, more of that this year. Uh, McDaniel and Shelter were six and six, which is a uh, you know a little disappointing, but uh, obviously that's that's last year's. Uh, Dong and Martin were actually five and zero. Oh. Uh, so that's also huh. super, super interesting. Uh, I'll note that it looks like uh, Bauer McKinney was the most often uh, uh, third doubles pairing. Um, Freestone and Shelter were most Coming often this on. Year, so. Yeah, uh, Freestone and Shelter were in court two, uh, and it looks like Martin and uh, McDaniel were most often on court one i think they were actually tied for first on that court so there's a lot of options and how you're going to construct that doubles lineup to to start every match and put yourself put yourself in the win column just to to begin with and and that's the thing too is like it's really doubles where you can really pick and pick and trade you know who who we're playing around with here because in singles you're going to be playing a court and a lot of that's going to be determined by what that player is looking like that you know that the you're playing the matchup you know so mm-hmm. you know you, you're you're gonna see martin out there but if he's on one if he's on two <laughs> question mark uh but you you, you return your one and two singles in, in martin and mcdaniel somewhat interchangeable but everything martin touches for the most part turns to gold so mm-hmm. you know wherever you're pairing him on doubles or singles it he's gonna you know be able to prove himself out there talented player you return Chopra and Shelter, who we saw a lot on on three and four, McKinney, uh, three, four, five, and and Chen Dong. Like, you know what? If if you're gonna have to play court six, like there there's a lot uh, there's there's a lot that he could do. And if that's who's playing down on five and six, like I like our odds. Uh, Chen Dong, eleven and four on court six. Yeah. By the way, mm-hmm. so for his, to his credit, he's he's raking pretty hard down there. Uh, I'll note some other you scores get as four well points somewhere true uh, i'll note some other scores that since i have them in front of me uh mcdaniel on court one is 11 and six and then actually five and oh on court two um yeah martin uh three and two on court one but 12 and five on court two so again i i think it bears repeating there's a lot of ways that you can play with this lineup uh, an, another another thing that I want to mention while I have the sheet in front of me, McDaniel eight and four versus rank, nationally ranked teams or, or players. So another yeah. point in his favor, and it really shows the quality of that pairing, especially when he's paired with Martin, who has uh, a, a five and four record versus uh, national ranked players. 
I, I mean, you're looking at a strong front end and especially with some of the other guys, like you said, uh, you know, a lot of red shirt freshmen, a lot of red shirt sophomores, you're looking yeah. at youth and growth potential uh, all across this lineup here. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing too, is there's, there's a viz for this. I wish I would have pulled it up. I honestly can't remember what side I saw it on. Um, we'll have to circle back on that with friend of the pod, uh, Ethan, Craiger, um, because there is there's a lot of interesting tennis stats out there. Tennis analytics—it's a thing. Well, you can you can see how your how your uh, lineups uh, stacks up versus other lineups, and really, uh, we talked about Eubanks earlier, or, or even going further back, like a Kenny Thorne or uh, or, or Shelton. Um, and I don't think this team has a Chris Eubanks, a Kenya Jones, a a, a Paige Hergan who's going to be your your lockdown number one. Like they are the star. Martin could be that guy. McDaniel could be that guy. Remains to be seen. But as it's as as my impression of it is now, like you, you see a lot of men's tennis teams and women's tennis teams that are built around that. Like, all right, court one, auto dub. Like we, we got the you know the on fire best player ever, whatever on one. But our our standard deviation of talent, our variance is is a lot closer, uh, I think, than, than a lot of teams have the luxury of having. And that's why you see Shandong doing so well uh, further down because he's a very good player. And, and Tech, Tech really has the depth that I think shines in, in a team uh, match format. Yeah, I, I'm trying to spend some time looking for the uh, lineup construction or lineup effectiveness. And I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be on UTR, and it is not. And I'm very disappointed. Rip. We'll have to circle back on that because that there, there's some great data bits out there for uh, for some college tennis. But college mm-hmm. tennis, low-key, uh, not the largest fan base in the world, but it is very, very loyal. Uh, so rowdy. I definitely recommend diving in. It's yeah, weirdly rowdy. rowdy. Like the the indoor courts especially, you get very loud uh, during or, the, uh, after points. I want to see the band at an indoor tennis match. Actually, no, that'd be a disaster. They're all playing different times. Never mind. Nope. Yes, uh, band, but sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be hard to time. I think you're going to have to workshop that idea, bud. Okay. Yeah, we'll we're, we'll circle back. Call call their alumni board or something like that. But uh, of course, uh, tell me about what the conference looks like. The ACC for women's tennis. I know. I think we talk traditionally about UNC being the unstoppable force, but shaking out after them who are we looking out for here yeah um that's the thing about the acc and a lot of these olympic sports um it's very difficult like like georgia tech legitimately top 15 top 10 team most of these years and and yeah they made it to the acc championship last year great for them um but it's really really hard to get past some of these titans last year you're looking at unc went undefeated they had top to bottom what was by far uh the best record or the best lineup in the conference uh we've played them four times i think and i i remember talking before the season if we're going to catch them in one give give me the acc title but mm-hmm. you know it didn't, mm-hmm. didn't really work out that way caught them in the regular season uh in the acc championship game and uh you know you, you might always run into them in uh the ncaa or the ita um, you have Florida State, uh, Florida State and um, men's and women's really are, are always sneaky good because a lot of the attention in the conference goes to UNC, Duke 
uh, Wake Forest. Wake Forest is, especially on the men's side, uh, the last few years, just a fantastic program. Um, but yeah, uh, and then and then Duke. Duke's been a top ten program for a while. Virginia on the women's side has been solid. Uh, Miami's. I don't know. I always feel like we're better than Miami, but like we're we we've been kind of similar to them in in how it's actually shaken out in the end. Go figure. After after that, it kind of falls off though with the. Syracuse, Notre Dame, Louisville, Clemson, BC, and Virginia Tech's of the world. Virginia Tech is not great. Don't want to be mean. Not great. Um, Boston College, not great. But but Clemson, uh, Louisville, Notre Dame, Syracuse are definitely programs I could see um, a little bit of a rise. But uh, but it's it's really hard to knock off the tobacco road schools. And I imagine we're going to have a very similar conversation in five minutes when we talk about the men, or in two minutes, or whenever that is. I mean, you can go right ahead and talk about the men after I make this comment, but uh, tobacco road schools, good at country club sports. Color me surprised. Dude, I, I never would have guessed it. I never, never, would, have it. never would have guessed. I also want to say that I was casually glancing at the, the women's results earlier, and I think Notre Dame and Louisville popped up as top 50 schools. So uh, at, at least I think that's per the ITA rankings probably. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the coaches pull, but I don't think the coaches pull goes down to. No, it, goes I down think to it's 50. The, the numerical one, the ITA. That would make the most sense, uh, but yeah, it, it, I think you're looking at a pretty strong tennis conference, top to bottom. I, I don't remember exactly what or how many bids they got last year, but I assume it was high. I can probably check while you're talking about men's tennis in the conference. It's crazy that a Louisville team that wins like four or something like that matches in conference is still top 50 team. That speaks to the power of, of the ACC. Looking at the men, you had Virginia go 12-0 and last year. They were excellent. Wake Forest only lost one game. Then you have a trio of Tobacco Road schools. Falls off after NC State, though. Um, Duke, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech were all kind of in the same neighborhood, 6-5, six 6-6. And, six and, six. and then uh, behind, behind them, you had Miami, Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, and Boston College. Um, not to beat up on Boston College. They sponsor, oh, so many varsity sports. It's like 34 or something like that. But, oof, uh, they went winless last year. Um, Florida State, usually pretty solid um, at tennis. Obviously, the women's team, as we noted, was very good. They only went 2-10 and 10 last year. And I, if I recall correctly, Tech uh, played them pretty close um, in, I think we t- caught them in Tallahassee. Um, let's check that result. Yeah, um, Tech won four to three in Tallahassee this year. It was it was a tight match. So I, I and whew, looking at Florida State's record, um, lost to Clemson four three, lost to Tech four three, lost to uh, UCF's not in the conference standings. A um, couple or a handful of two four losses like that. Again, it, that's tennis, right? So you, you flip those and bam, you're at five hundred, or you flip three of those and. You're you're in the neighborhood of a, of a winning conference record, so mm-hmm. never never a tough or never a light week in the ACC tennis. Mm-hmm. I I uh, have the brackets pulled up, but it doesn't tell me how many uh, how many teams qualified from each conference, and I'm way too lazy to count them. So it's, we still got to talk football a little bit. So let's not do that. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's pivot now that you talk about football to a uh, to this week's football game, the first football game of the 2021 season. Week zero, we already talked about earlier. We led with that, but this is now week one. 
this team that we're going to be talking about today is from your backyard, uh, as I hear. Yeah, you'd be right. Um, it's funny, my, my high school's mascot was also the Huskies, and we were also from Northern Illinois, but that was the high school, and our colors were orange and blue. Um, no, Northern Illinois is a very interesting program. Um, uh, a, uh, a bit unlucky last year in that they finished without any wins. Uh, three of the losses were within a touchdown. Uh, or a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Um, sure, the others were one-sided, but it's not like they got uh, destroyed every week. Um, I, I think that their uh, their MAC hurried schedule or hurried reinstatement, slightly younger program, definitely caught them uh, in a more unfair angle than than a lot of teams got. Uh, in terms of production, uh, a ton ton of the lineup was underclassmen. Uh, Reigns through this year. Uh, I can't remember what the, the the number was, but it was ridiculous, like 60 or something like that freshman last year. Um, yeah, their coach is Tom Hammock. Um, he was a running back in DeKalb, so he knows the system. They've always you said a, you said DeKalb uh, wrong, by the way. No, it, it's DeKalb. I, I get to say yeah, that. You, didn't, this you didn't say the L. You didn't say the L that time. You messed it up. You said it the Atlanta way. For DeKalb. Yeah. I, for one week, I will say it the way that I was born and raised to say DeKalb. Um, it's disgusting, all, by the way. It's disgusting. You can direct all complaints to at Magna Carter GT on Twitter. I'm sure he will take them all and respond with kind words. Um, yes, kind uh, words. Let's see. Yes. Um, Tom Hammock, uh, he was running back in DeKalb. Uh, he spent time with Minnesota, Wisconsin, NIU, and Baltimore um, Ravens of the NFL. Uh, I think that he's probably a pretty good culture fit uh, at Hammock is. I can see uh, that the backfield returners are, are quite good as well in Harrison Whaley and Aaron Collins. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tough to kind of gas up an 0-6 team. I'm, I'm not going to say I was a, a huge fan of them growing up or anything like that either. They were just kind of there. Um, but uh but in terms of what they have been, like, it, yeah, you can't just win a, win a game with running backs. Rocky Lombardi is going to have to prove himself as a quarterback. Uh, he's a transfer from Michigan State, I believe. Um, passing game was inconsistent last year at best. Uh, and, uh, you know, the defense is going to have to do something, too. When they actually made it to the red zone, uh, the offense was pretty successful, 17 for 18 in six games. But – Again, this team went 0 6, so it's definitely not where their fan base and uh, the media expect them to be. Uh, obviously, most of you are probably familiar with Northern Illinois from their modern golden age of late uh, 2010 to 2018 under back to back coaches Jerry Kill, Dave Doran, uh, who's now with NC State, um, and Rod Carey. Doran uh, led the team quite well in his time there, uh, including back-to-back conference titles and an appearance in the 2012 Orange Bowl. Uh, we'll uh, save the details on what Florida State did to them for another time, but it was not pretty. That's the life of being a, of a successful MAC program, though, is hitting gold right away three times for a program that is Northern Illinois, directional Illinois MAC school. The fourth time, like – uh, there, there's almost on some of you have to expect some sort of regression or slip. Like it, it's just not, 
just not reasonable. Obviously, they expect more than zero wins in, in a year, but I'm I'm going to leave it there. Uh, they they were very good for a short while, and I think they have the potential to be on the ups again this year. But whew, it, uh, it, it ain't it ain't 2012 anymore, Chief. Let me let me uh, paint your narrative with a couple numbers now that I have them in front of me while you were while you were talking. Um, talking about returning production, NIU has 75% returning production per ESPN's Bill Connolly. That is actually 79th in the nation. The returning production average is pretty high this year. Um, I think he said it was something around 80%, which is very high for this, for, uh, for the usual um, drilling down a little deeper. That's 53% on the offensive side. Um, and 97% on the defensive side, that 97% mark on the defensive side is good enough for fifth in the nation. So you're looking at a lot of youth, a lot of experience uh, on the defensive side uh, of the ball there. I'm going to pull up NIU's S and P plus as well, or SP plus, sorry. Um, Bill Connolly again has them projected as the 116th team in the nation uh, with the 121st ranked offense and the 97th ranked defense on it, against the average team on a neutral field, they would lose by 12 points. This sets up analytically to be, how do you say, not good, not good at all. Um, just to add a couple more points in terms of their uh, record last year, our, uh, one of the sites that I use for analytics, CFB graphs, notes that NIU should have probably gone uh, one and a half wins and four and a half losses uh, around there. That's what their expected record would be. Ties. Instead, ties. Yes. Ties. <laughs> instead they went 0 and six. They were uh, based on EPA margin. So that's offensive EPA minus defensive EPA. EPA is expected points added. They were ranked 117th in the nation with a fitting negative point one one seven. In EPA margin. Um, Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, not good. Uh, 119th ranked offense, one over, uh, offense overall uh, by EPA per play. Defensively, 102 ranked defense by EPA per play. It, it really, if you look at the stats here, uh, the advanced stats here, that was a, that was a wet raspberry. It was – I, I this was not a good football team. Like, like they got unlucky in some of those yeah. losses, like you said, and, and the record, the expected record kind of shows it too, but man, that's, this is a rough stat line to look at. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. And, and you might be asking yourself, and I don't know why you'd be asking this because the rest of our schedule is hard enough as it is. What do we do in playing NIU if they're trash? Well, to, to paint that the game was scheduled early in 2019 at the time, NIU uh, fresh off four conference titles in eight years, uh, including that orange bowl. Um, great consistency in terms of coaching. Like we noted um, their downfall, like we said, it, it's a, the perfect case study for why it's difficult to sustain, sustain success at a group of five school, especially one that had such a, like a sterling reputation. And dare I say with their access to Chicagoland talent, which in, in my humble opinion, sometimes gets slept on, uh, in, in terms of the recruiting and the, the, the value of that product, but they had a pretty good lock on, on a lot of that uh, non 
Illinois, Notre Dame, Wisconsin-y bound Chicago talent. Um, and that, that, that fell off, right? Um, so the question is, why do we care? Why did we schedule them? Well, not only were they good, but here's, how's, how's this for a fun tidbit? In the usual, college football is a fascinatingly small world trip. Northern Illinois, having collapsed from an eight-win MAC champion team in 2018, quoting quoting an article that we wrote for the site. Uh, you wrote for squad. the site. Quote yourself here. We're plagiarizing yourself. It's, it's indirectly Georgia Tech's fault. So, so what happened? In 2018, uh, Georgia Tech was coached by Paul Johnson. At the end of the year, Paul Johnson retires quick lane bowl, yada, yada, yada. Jeff Collins gets hired by Tech to come here from Temple. Temple, super duper, you know, if fun times, they, they hire a, uh, a man named Manny Diaz, fun guy. He went undefeated in his time at Temple. And uh, two weeks later, he's out, Miami head coach. Wow, I, I just looked up Rod Carey on, uh, on Wikipedia because I wanted to uh, spice up what he's actually done at Temple since. But um, when Manny Diaz got hired away by Miami, uh, NIU's Rod Carey got head, co- uh, head coach poached uh, from the Huskies and sent packing to Philly. So indirectly, Georgia Tech caused NIU to lose their coach to Temple. Bam. Science. There's, there's your stat line right there. Transitive property proven, as always. Oh, yeah. All right. We're, we're, starting to, we're starting to drag. We're getting a little punchy. Let's talk about predictions for the game. I think we've covered the, covered the context and the narrative here enough. Uh, just to talk about the Vegas numbers for our friends in the desert, Vegas Insider has us – or as Tech is an 18-point favorite with the over-under set at 57 and a half. Uh, the opening line was Tech by 13 points with the over-under set at 56 and a half. Uh, Bill Connolly's SB Plus as Tech favored by 18 and a half. Uh, and our old uh, statistical model that we use it from the Rumble seat had Tech by uh, about nine and a half. However, you know, there's some problems with that model that uh, we'll eventually write and, and talk about. Uh, math is hard, I will say. What do you think about this game? How does this game set up? Um, what are your thoughts on what the result will be? My, uh, my gut feeling had Tech with five touchdowns and, and NIU with two and a field goal. Uh, so like 35, 34, um, four Tech. And then like, you know, 15, 17 range. Uh, for NIU. So I think that lines up pretty much spot on with the uh, over under. Maybe I'm a little bit low there and, uh, and the line as well. Uh, I think tech needs to win this by a couple scores. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously a win to win, but this is, this is a statement game. It's Labor Day weekend. It's a home opener. It's a night game, ATL. That uh, is it. A night I, game? I think Georgia tech has the opportunity to show out here. So let's see. It, it is a night game. I did not know that it was a night game. I've been you. prepping my body for a 12-hour tailgate after four years in the Ramblin' Ref Club. It, I get to tailgate a football game. It'll be a fun time. Oh, boy. That's going to be an adventure. Uh, so, yes, that is Saturday. Saturday? Saturday. March. Not March. Wow. I'm really punchy today. Saturday, September 4th uh, at 7.30 p.m. That will be on the ACC Network 
Tickets as low as $14, Mr. Grant. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, if, if you're going to the game, um, good luck. Enjoy the game. If you're tailgating, stay hydrated. It's going to be hot. It's going to be sunny, hopefully sunny. I actually, actually haven't checked the weather, so maybe it won't be, but it's a long time to be out in the sun. It's a long time to be, you know, just just out and about, and that's exhausting. So stay, I... stay well. I'm checking the weather forecast, the 10-day for Saturday. Let's take a little look-see. Saturday the 4th, 86 and sunny, night 64. So uh, we might get some nice cool temperatures. We might really get some nice, very calm, very mild temperatures by kickoff. The, The, again, tailgating should be a great experience to have, you know, all day on a Saturday, you get Monday off, come down into the city, come catch the game. It's a nightcap. So should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, just yeah, hopefully hopefully, every, everybody remembers how to go to a football game and tailgate because we haven't been able to do that in, in like two years now. So uh, really hope people remember how to act at football games as well, given the uh, notorious fan incidents that we've had at multiple sporting events the past nine months. Sporting events, concerts, airplanes. Don't be those people. <laughs> You're not that guy. You're not that guy. That was a great video. Great. Good on that guy for telling him not to be that guy. Uh, I don't remember the context, but I, I'm pretty sure I would not compliment the, the context if I remember correctly. Really? It might have been bad. I don't actually, actually remember. Never mind. Scratch this whole thing. Akshay, like, just cut this whole thing in post or something. I don't know. No, we're, no, we're leaving it in. Uh, we're now getting into the delirious part of the program. Mr. Grant, do you have anything else to add before delirium slips into madness? Uh, no, we're going to push the Olympic book review another week because this is an hour and a half long. So, uh, no yes, we will see you all for a game recap uh, next Sunday. Have a fun, safe week and Labor Day weekend.